Today's episode of the Naked Preacher Podcast is brought to you by Sign from Above Church Sign Changing Services. Do you pastor a church with one of those lovely signs by the highway? The type that needs changing every week? Are you tired of thinking up cutesy little phrases to put on them signs? Would you like to spend more time concocting your Sunday sermon than your sidewalk slogan? Then just look up, beloved, because Sign From Above Church Sign Changing Services has got you covered. We have 50-plus years' experience discerning and displaying catchy plastic-lettered proverbs for you to place on your outdoor church sign so you can save your engaging one-liners for your preaching. The blessed minds behind Sign From Above Church Sign Changing Services are the very ones that have pleased church passers-by for decades with such phrases as, He is divine, we are the branches. Tweet others as you want to be tweeted. And sin burn is prevented by sunscreen. Except that one's S-O-N, not S-U-N. It's Not best example for an audio medium, but you get it. Anyway, point is, the Lord is showering His quippy inspiration upon us, and we want to share it with you. We will curate, install, and change your slogans at a pace that is suitable for your church budget. We ain't got a website or a Twitter, but come on by and mention this here podcast, and we'll give you nine free letters, which is just enough to spell salvation. That's what we aim to give you here at Sign From Above Church Sign Changing Services. You worry about the message inside. Leave the one on the outside to us. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Naked Preacher Podcast the show where preachers get together to reveal who they are outside the pulpit. We've got a great conversation lined up today. It's a conversation about race, uh, and to help me have it is a good friend of mine, Reverend Dorian Daniels, who is the pastor of an historically black congregation here in Wilmington, North Carolina, the city where I am also a pastor. And uh, we struck up a friendship a couple of years ago and uh, have just uh, gotten uh, closer over the years and and had many conversations exactly like the one that you're just about to hear uh, about how uh, we as people and particularly we as preachers can speak uh, to the challenges of of race and working toward equity in uh, our our current culture, but uh, how to speak to that well in a, in a way that is helpful uh, and uh, not one that is hurtful, uh, a way that it encourages uh, as much as it challenges. So uh, I'm excited for you to hear that and just get a window into uh, my relationship, my connection with Dorian, and hope that you will find this to be a helpful conversation for uh, whatever context that you might serve so that you can feel uh, encouraged and empowered uh, to go out and talk about uh, challenging, difficult concepts, but important concepts that need uh, the voices of God's people speaking to them today. So, enjoy the conversation. All right. Well, I want to welcome to the podcast uh, my good friend, uh, Pastor Dorian Daniels uh, from right here in Wilmington, uh, St. Andrew's AME Zion Church. A good, good friend of mine. We've uh, gotten to develop a friendship here over the last 
year and a half or so, and uh, he is joining us from his home, and so uh, you are likely to get just a real clear picture of his life. You might hear some little ones running around uh, screaming, uh, hopefully not crying. You might hear their mother crying, um, but, uh, but you know, that comes with the territory of parenthood, I suppose. But Dorian, we're grateful to, to have you join us today, uh, my friend, and um, thought it, it might be helpful just to uh, give the audience an idea of uh, where you're uh, coming from, what your background is, how you came into ministry. So why don't you just give us a little bit about yourself, talk, talk about your history and your call to ministry and all that good stuff. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me um, on your uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for considering me in this conversation. And uh, we have uh, been developing a friendship, and I'm so grateful uh, to God for that. Um, I originally hail from the Washington, um, D.C. metropolitan area. Um, I went to school there, uh, high elementary school, middle school, high school um, in that area. Uh, I was raised by a single parent mother, and uh, my father uh, was in the military. Um, and um, so from the time I was two until I became an adult, 18, my mom raised us and my dad lived somewhere else. Uh, I graduated from college, Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia, which is a historically black university. And um, I also uh, graduated with a Master's of Divinity from the Samuel Dewitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University, which is a, another historically um, Black university. Um, and so my call to ministry started very early. Uh, I started, I announced my call to the ministry at the age of 14. I pretty much was raised in the church. The church is pretty much all I know. My mom raised us in a um, Pentecostal church. Um, so we were um, kind of quasi-Pentecostal Jewish, you know, kind of thing. But, yeah, <laughs> interesting, was, interesting combo. Um, but we were part of one of the largest um, Black Pentecostal denominations, um, the Church of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, short term would be Kojic but it stands for Church of God in Christ. And so um, I was in that, you know, when I was, you know, my early years and that's what kind of announced the call, but my family, my mom and my dad, they both were raised Baptist. And so I became, um, I was always a person that raised questions, you know, had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And so I became disenchanted with some of, I couldn't articulate then, you know, uh, now I would say the theology or the doctrine of the church, you know, you learn little $10 words when you go to seminary. You know? That's right, man. I um, I had a lot of questions of wrestling around, you know, the theology of the, the, the church of God in Christ and that it ultimately didn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was able to start to ride the Metro bus or catch a train or my mom was comfortable with me riding with people, um, I went back. I went to the Baptist church, which is the church of my both sides of my family's roots. Right. And so I attended Metropolitan Baptist Church, uh, which is a historically is a historically black a historic congregation until I graduated high school. 
And it was in college that I was licensed. Okay. Um, I was licensed at a little church, little church just below the university campus called Morningstar Baptist Church, 1201 Upper Appomattox. <laughs> um, and that was the church. I mean, when I say a little, little small, little Baptist church, right. only had about mm, maybe 25, 30 people attending. Wow. And I got there because I was playing the drums because my friend was playing. We both were music majors. And he was like, man, come play the drums down with me at this little church. And I did. And me and the pastor developed a relationship or whatever. And I talked to him about my call and he gave, he licensed me. How about that? Cool. His name is James Banks, Reverend James E. Banks. And he licensed me. And I, that's when I started um, in ministry. And I've been the youth pastor um, as you know, assistant pastor, executive pastor. And then I went on, I graduated from undergrad and met, that's when I was an undergrad, I met my wife and she went to another school, but she's from the Petersburg area, her family is. And so I met her when she came home at a church service and um, her and I started dating. And, um, and then I went off to seminary at Virginia Union and I was uh, licensed at, I mean, ordained uh, by the association at my wife's home church because you know in seminary we have to do field education stuff and so mm -hmm. that was where I did my field ed and um, her home church pastor and I became really close and he ordained me well while I was in seminary I was candidating at some churches you know um, you know but I really felt the call to full-time ministry I didn't want to be bivocational so I was very intentional about that. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to work another job. I wanted, I wanted the church to be my primary source of income. And so um, in my third year um, of seminary, which we would say senior year, mm -hmm. um, graduating, I, um, we, we would have these like kind of career fairs, if you will, you know, just trying to see what's out there, you know. And so there was an alumnus um, from from the from the seminary that was a district superintendent in the United Methodist Church, um, and he came seeking um, a full time pastor that wanted to plant a United Methodist Church in a black neighborhood that was once all white but now was gentrifying mm -hmm. and was you know, black Latino poor white you know all of that and more but wanted a more of a black experienced church. In that right. neighborhood, the building was totally closed. And so I interviewed and a couple of us interviewed and I was selected. And so upon graduation, I had my first actual full-time ministry. Now, it was not in the Baptist church. Right. As much as I wanted yeah. to. You Nobody's know. perfect. Right. Out right. The yeah. <laughs> and so I took it because the other side of it is I wanted to marry my wife. And she wasn't <laughs> going to marry me without no, you know. I was preaching everywhere every week, but you know, I had no right. job, job, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so I did it. I did that. I stayed out there for like four years. Mm -hmm. And I also pastored another church, uh, a, a white congregation. Um, I was in what we call cross racial appointment um, mm -hmm. out there. And um, that was a very tough time, unique time. Uh -huh. But then I came to the AME Zion church and that's how I'm here. Um, and I pastored, down in New Bern and now here in Wilmington. Yeah, well, quite quite a quite a journey, but uh, you're still young, still still yeah. wet behind the ears in many ways. Because you're you're like thirty, what thirty eight, something like that. I'm thirty nine. Thirty nine. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm thirty six. Just in case you were wondering. 
just a little bit young. But uh, um, one of the things I've always loved about your story is that you uh, have ministered in both predominantly black and predominantly white churches. Um, and I would love to hear you talk about that experience and, and obviously the differences that you've noticed in those two contexts. Well, you know, um, I, it was a wonderful learning experience um, for me and a stretching experience. Um, one that I I would I can never exchange mm-hmm. um, because um, I got to see um, how people really view me, mm-hmm. you know, blacks, and got to see, you know, how I really view white, and uh, right. and also just kind of be stretched in my in my theology and how you we work cross culturally for the common good even in difference yeah and so um it was an amazing experience um kind of traumatizing because at that time you know i went to a historically black undergrad university i pretty much grew up in a all black um public school system um i you know then i went to a black seminary who um, it's theological methodology uh, was liberation theology, particularly Black liberation theology, which was started by, well, not really started, but James Cone made Black liberation theology kind of mainstream, but Black liberation theology was something that was happening before Cone as well. But so, you know, having that as my kind of theological the theological framework from which I begin, I understand, you know, was stretched to understand scripture, understand society. So when Trayvon Martin happened, that those two worlds collided. And I found myself trying to figure out how do I speak Mm. to this congregation, challenge them, but at the same time, not make it like I'm attacking them. Yeah. So, you know, when you're a young seminarian, yes, sir. you know, uh, black man, you know, know what it is to be, you know, uh, trying to figure out life as a black young man in this space, in, in, this, in America and all this other stuff. So I, I speak. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke, I was hung on the cross. I was taken to the principal's office, which would be the district superintendent's office. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you know, and um, wasn't a very good experience. Um, but there were people there who did embrace and who were open mm-hmm. to deeper conversation and deeper yeah. understanding. And one of the greatest things that I've learned is that people are people, no matter what, what the color is and no yeah. matter what's out on there that hangs out on the marquee. Right. Okay. People deal with issues. Yeah. People have fears. Um, and church people are church people. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to do church people stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Preach. Yeah, man. And so um, when I felt that, figured that out, you know, it was a little better. But Trayvon Martin thing really kind of, um, that experience really kind of helped me to see that I cannot I couldn't help any longer with where I was. I needed to. Yeah, um, sure. Because I was not going to allow myself to become muzzled. Sure. Um, in my convictions and in my thoughts. And, and that space mm-hmm. was, was not as welcoming um, mm-hmm. when I began to truly 
think for myself and articulate. Yes, I was living well, you know, I had all of the advantages and everything like that, but I rather, like Paul, I rather, I got to a place where I said, I rather tent make, mm. you know, than to live in a tent that's being made for me as long as I'm going along with what everyone wants me to do right. and not what I feel the fire in my belly Amen. tells me to do through you. the power of the Holy Spirit to articulate. Yeah. So it was great, man. And my ministry has been that. And, um, you know, and I've been invited to a lot of spaces yeah. um, because of that. And um, and I've learned a lot in, in regards to that. Yeah. And it was a wonderful four and a half years experience. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and, you know, I think as ministers, we like, we get out of divinity school and we go into a church and then there's all of a sudden this assumption that we put on ourselves, but also maybe that others put on us as well that, okay, we've, we completely know pastoring now. We completely know what it is to be a minister now. And no, I mean, going and growing through ministry is a process just like anything else of learning more about ourselves. And so even the churches that might not be the best fits for us ultimately have um, such value. Like you said, you wouldn't have traded it for anything because it helped teach you um, so much about, you know, what was valuable to you in ministry as, as a pastor and what you were not willing to sacrifice. And, you know, now for, I mean, in the big scheme of things for four and a half years out of your ministry is not a lot. And so now for the rest of your ministry, you are going to be able to know that, okay, number one, I have to be able to speak from a place of authenticity, a place where I am not muzzled, a place where the Holy Spirit um, flows right in and right out of me um, without any, you know, interference on my part. And so, you know, I think it's, it's awesome that that's a lesson that 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 you can learn and, um, and that you'll be able to carry with you throughout the rest of your ministry now. Yeah, I mean, and it was it was, you know, I learned a lot in terms of, you know, how church functions intricately behind the scenes. Um, not to say that I didn't have those experiences when I was in, you know, the all black church, but I went to all black churches that were like what we would say mega churches. So. I was not necessarily, you know, in the know um, of, you know, how to deal with meetings, you know, how to run right. staff meeting and how to vision, you know, visioning. And, you know, those are kinds of things that I learned right. um, because those are values mm -hmm. that are deeply connected in, in a lot of times in um, white spaces. Most mm -hmm. of their pastors are looked at more as like, you know, what is the what is the strategic plan? You know, what how, how are we going to build the youth ministry? How we you know, those, you know, a, a more of a um more of a more professional centered environment. Oh yeah. That um a lot of times as in in the African American church, that is expected depending on the kind of church that a person is is going right. to. But what is really valued and expected is the pastor more as the shepherd, not necessarily as the manager. 
Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, we, we know how to have fun here uh, in, in the white church, buddy. We'll, we'll throw a meeting together and we'll write you some bylaws and constitutions and right. Um, yeah. It'll, it'll be a blast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in some ways, yes, but in some ways there's the, those, the, the you know, the expectations are a little um, right. bit, you know, more different, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and so I had, I, I had to grow in those things and really um, understand what it means to put a budget together, um, um, manage the budget, manage people, you know, not, like I said, not, not that I didn't see it mm-hmm. in my growing in my church when I was coming up, but having to be a, do that, you know, 20 something yeah. years old, almost 30 years, not, you know, I didn't, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Really. And, 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 and so that was the great experience. Yeah. That was what has helped me and because there's a great emphasis on church administration. Um, in my experience, I've seen more so in, in, in the white church is that, that that church administration is very, very important. Now, preaching and all that, that's great. But church administration, you know, being able to administer the church in a way that strategically uh, keeps it growing and expanding and moving. And that's what I took away um, in terms of what I learned from that, mm-hmm. uh, how to how to do that, the value of it, you know, because I was my value was preaching, you know, social, you know, socially organizing, and, and and that's still a strong part of who I am. That is absolutely, me. yeah. But I learned, I I I was exposed to the intricacies of day to day church operations that I don't know in my first pastorate in the Black Baptist Church. I would have gotten that. Now I would have gotten it along the way, mm-hmm. but to actually be involved in the church, I was serving a church on a team that was about the size of yours. You know, right. they had an endowment of seven million dollars at that time, and oh, staff, we and, had one of those. You know, you know, staffing and all of these kinds yeah. of things like that. And so, I really got to really appreciate and understand the value of church administration. You can have all the wonderful ideas, yeah, but if you cannot translate those ideas in practical ways and step by step and 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 then to make sense so that people can see where you're taking them then you can preach all day right and and, and it, they love your preaching but you're not going anywhere yeah so that's right you know, so yeah i i learned that being yeah. in that environment. sort of sort of a Mar- mariana martha scenario you know right. you gotta have you gotta have both pieces uh well, let's talk about uh, our connection, um, which I think is is pretty cool because if you really trace it back, you and I wouldn't be able, uh, wouldn't have run into each other if not for hate. Uh, <laughs> you know, our friendship was actually born out of hate in a lot of ways. It's it started with the. Uh, nasty letter that your church received in December of 2019. So do you want to describe that experience of, you know? Yeah, I mean, I came to church one day. I came to church Sunday morning. I was sitting in my office and and um, the mail, the, the, the mail that we get through the mailboxes on the outside of the front door of my office is right when you come in. Mm-hmm. And they brought it to me. It didn't have a return address. And so they was like, Pastor, this was in there. It was addressed to the pastor. So I began to read it. And I'm like, what in the world is this? 
so immediately I said, I'm going to have to say something. I'm not going to just, you know, let this ride over or whatever. Um, well, that's my kid. Um, <laughs> hey, DJ. Could have went to the other bathroom, but he just wanted to. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, I, you know, get in the pulpit and I, I begin to talk about this. And then, so I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I got this letter and, you know, I'm new to this city. And, you know, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to the news with it. I don't care, you know? And so that's what I did. I just was told, told the news about it. And, you know, something like that, they're going to want to report on it. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. And I was interviewed and I believe that you saw it, I think. Yeah, actually one of our, one of our church members, um, we had been, um, a group of folks that were um, really burdened to um, to try and and do something in regards to um, building, you know, cross cultural, cross racial relationships, um, uh, you know, in our congregation. Uh, we've had we'd had a group that had been meeting and working through uh, a book and talking about that and everything. And so one of them saw that story mm-hmm. and sent it sent it to me and um and it was one of those holy spirit type type moments that it was like if we didn't do something then it would felt it would have felt like being muzzled like you talked about earlier right. yeah and so you know i just put it out there then i think you had contacted the church and left a message or something uh, i was going to receive a bunch of letters or something like that letters yeah. of love or something yeah, just reached out to you, I think, and um, and just to give you a heads up because um, the way that the concerned folks here uh, decided to to react was to because this was actually the Sunday right before Christmas that year, right. and um, they uh, said, well, you know, they were this church received this this one letter of, of hate. Let's write you know, hundreds of letters of, of love during worship and, and send those their way. And uh, so we sort of wove that into the sermon and everything and other churches got on board as, as well. And so it, it ended up being, you know, a, a pretty, you know, trying to make something good and mul- multiply a whole lot of love out of just a little bit, a little bit of hate. Um, and then that, but yeah, I remember giving you a call and trying to give you a heads up to say, hey, you might receive a whole lot of mail. Um, yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. be don't be freaked out. Uh, but this is this is what we're doing. Um, and I called you back and um, mm-hmm. we met up. Yeah, we met up at, fi- at Firehouse Subs, I believe. Yeah, and, uh, and we met up, and then our family started um, fellowshipping with each other, and uh, we did our worship together on Father's Day. That's right. And then we did recently four weeks of a good a book yep. together for Bible study. Um, That's right. Uh, so, you know, the thing about that is it makes for a nice story, but I think it's easy uh, for people to to let ourselves stop at nice story when it comes to you know dealing with issues like this. We. We recognize, though, I think you and I do, that solving the problems that lead to letters like the one that you received requires more than just nice stories, right? More than just surface level stuff. And what 
role do you think churches play, white churches and black churches, in creating and nurturing communities and cultures that raise us above racism? I think it's 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 it's, it's critically important, and it's the gospel. Mm. Um, I think you know when we read Christian scripture, it didn't say like the corporate Baptists could not mess with the AME Zion or, you know, it doesn't read that um, when um, I was naked, only the black people can help me find clothing or, you know, it doesn't read that way, you know? So it reads this sense of us being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So now, of course, Theologically, we all are different and all we bring all of our sure. suppositions and all of that. But it does require us as the church to work through the things, work with what is we can and the things that we may have some growing edges with, that we continue to stay at the table and continue to learn from one another um, and grow with each other in a way that begins to address the common evil. Mm. With the common evil is racism, then we have to begin to peel back the layers of onions and things of that yeah. nature. But the biggest thing is, is staying at the table. Staying at the table. I like that. And, um, and, and dealing with and listening to and, and, and working through and acknowledging and all of those things that need to happen to truly authentically. Now, some people can come together and it's it's still a very superior, inferior thing going on. Mm-hmm. You know, all oh, we're doing this together, but then one group has to dominate with the other. Right. You know, and it's a very paternalistic kind of thing happening, mm-hmm. um, which means that they really work through nothing. Somebody just wants to do something that feels good and they can check right. it off if they did that. Again, that can make um, a nice story. Yeah, make a nice story, but to really represent the kingdom of God, uh, I think it takes that intentional, um, intentional focus to say, we really want to be the kingdom. And how do we begin uh, to work through that to really address and be what the kingdom calls us to be? And that is ultimately people of God um, living as disciples in the world addressing the things that hinder us all from truly being what God would have us to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, the word intentionality in there, I think is, is key. And, uh, you talked about a commitment to staying at the table, uh, and, and how appropriate that, you know, when Jesus, the night that he was betrayed and he had to, you know, he could have chosen any symbol in the world to leave us with, you know, but, but he chose to have a meal. He chose to sit at a table around all these disciples. Um, no doubt differences among them um, and, and break bread. And, you know, and then John, his prayers that we be one as, as he and the father are one. And there's just, you know, yeah, we got to glue our butts to the seats and stay at the table, I think, to to work through it sometimes, even when it's uncomfortable. Um, you know, you talked about 
maybe means growing up a little bit, you know, Paul talking about when I was a child, I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child, but I think mature faith and mature spirituality means being able to handle some, some difficult things to stay at the grown up table. Um, yeah. 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 I think that's what, you know, it takes. And, um, and it, it, it starts with leadership. I think, um, you know, leaders desiring, um, to be more, more inclusive and more open and welcoming, um, knowing that everyone's not going to, not going to get on the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm in my, I'm in a space in my ministry at this time and, and being okay with that. Every pulpit is not for me. Mm. You know, every panel discussion is not for me. Right. Um, you know, I don't have to be on the big tickets, you know, with the big people or whatever. Um, but there is pulpits and spaces that are for me that will welcome what, how God has called me. And yeah. God has called me to express and to, you know, be a voice in, as John talked about, you know, a voice in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I've come to be, and I'm coming, I'm evolving to be okay with that because right. I have to authentically present the gospel in the way that I feel that God calls Dorian to do that. And Man. everyone Preach. is not, it's not for everyone. And I, and, yeah. and that, and that's okay. That, I think, you know, yeah, I think so you know, too. I think the, it's okay. The know? body of Christ is a body is made up of many members and, and that's diverse. And, it's made up of many members because the world is diverse and, you know, you're going to be able to speak to somebody differently than, than I'm going to be able to out of your gifts and talents or whatever else. And, and um, there will be people that I can reach and connect with out of my gifts and talents that others won't be able to. Yeah, man, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm totally with you. We've, we've got to, um, again, I just love that, that you, uh, have really honed in on that idea of being authentic to the the people and the ministers that that God has made us to be, uh, owning owning that and putting ourselves selves in places where we can fully be those people. Um, so you said it starts with leadership. So sort of like dual questions. Then what do you think as pastors? As pastors, what do you think that's helpful for us to do in speaking about race? And what do you think is is harmful for us to do when speaking I'm about start with, First, I'm going to start with harmful. It's very, it's very harmful to make really broad assumptions mm. um, and to kind yeah. of, you know, point to things that says, you know, I've been with white ministers that says, you know, well, we have an African-American lady that leads worship. Okay, but that's that doesn't she's not the spokesperson for exactly. everything, right? You know what I mean? So those are very harmful kind of things. Sure. You know, when we make these broad assumptions or we we say, well, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. Well, that you know, so those are kinds of things that I think that can be harmful mm-hmm. for leaders to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just think in their silos, mm-hmm. you know in their own little spaces or because I understand the Bible this way. And if no one understands it that way, then, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Those are harmful, yeah. harmful things. I think it's harmful when 
um, ministers refuse to try to find a way that is comfortable for them, knows their context and everything, because everything is contextual now, mm-hmm. but refuse to in some way address re, address the obvious beyond the same talking points that we hear. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond our our affiliations, whatever they may be, but really really addressing it in what the biblical scripture calls for and to continue to ignore that is harmful not using their influence and spaces and places that me will never go and you and the person knows that they can do that that's harmful right and but what's helpful is when pastors are willing to have conversations Mm -hmm. willing to reach out and like you did, will you didn't know who I was gonna call you back or not, but that willingness to put themselves out there to at least begin the conversation and to, you know, listen and build relationships and 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 and, and be willing to, you know, just conversate, man. Mm-hmm. Conversations. Yeah. Like you're doing just conversations. Yeah. And not thinking that just be not assuming that just because everyone is African-American, we think the same way, we mm-hmm. vote the same way, we understand God the same way, you know, none of that kind of stuff, but just 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 open, authentic conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and building those relationships yeah. in a way that is that is honoring that is vulnerable, that is truthful, and that ultimately helps both spaces understand God a little deeper. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I think the key to that, um, and the reason that we can know this is the right Jesus answer is because that's hard work. It's the easy work is to say, well, I have, you know, this friend of color who, you know, does this so I'm okay, but the hard work is to develop relationships, to do the things that take time. The, the, it's easy to, um, you know, to host a one-time event or something like that, and and it's good. There's value in that, but uh, but that's that's not going to create the type of change that's needed to work on problems that have been centuries in the making. And um, it, it's only through the, the Jesus hard work of putting in time and being vulnerable and listening and opening yourself to the story and the experience of, of somebody else that real growth and real change can happen. And I think that's one of the main things you talk about what can be helpful that we can do is um, leave, you know, assumptions behind and um, kind of leave behind this. um, It's easy to approach situations defensively, but to, to kind of let that down, let go of that a a little bit if possible, let go Mm -hmm. of this, um, sort of 
seemingly natural instinct that we have to take things personally and instead just just listen just let somebody else's story and experience be their story and experience and not have to listen to it as something that's accusatory toward as you a finger pointing in in your face or saying that you have have done something wrong um it doesn't that doesn't have to happen in order for you to to recognize um the the pain that somebody else has experienced. I think that we could all benefit if we, if we do do that. And, and that's why I think, you know, when speaking about race or whatever, the more, the more personal, you know, like from the pulpit or whatever, the more personal that it can come across, um, the better chance that it has really landing um, in somebody's, heart and in their in their mind because it's going to be less accusatory and more this is this is me this has been my experience this is what I am sharing with you I'm not saying that you have to um, own this or whatever else but I'm inviting you to uh, hear it that that it has been what I've experienced and invite you also to maybe reflect upon your own life and see um, maybe where some connections might be Right. Yeah, I think that's 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 always a good approach um, to that. And and really, you know, looking at oneself and being as Christ calls us to do, you know, always being willing to, you know, here am I, Lord, you know, what Mm -hmm. what what where am I where am I growing growing points and. And, you know, um, how can I not allow culture and um, certain inheritances to blind me to the real realities yeah. uh, that are out there um, of people's experience, not just Black people's experience, yeah. but, you know, um, here in North Carolina, there were free people of color that lived up in the um, Northeastern quadrant of the state, places like Winton and and uh, places like Ahoski and places like you know um, Cofield and you know those places going up to there near the um, Suffolk Virginia um, area um, they were free blacks mm-hmm. but they Paul they look like you almost hmm. right they were they are the descendants of the Maharian Native Americans the Tuscaroran or the the the, uh, the Chautauquans but they were free black people born of free people of color, born of, of the woman who was free. Right. They lived their own life. But we could make assumptions. Yeah. You know, and believe that they had some advantages or something that they may not have had. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it takes that kind of in-depth um, um, thinking and moving beyond just our, my experience. Because there are other people's experience. They have an experience. Mm -hmm. Just as well as somebody that may have grown up in the more Southern Eastern part has an experience. Or somebody Mm -hmm. that grew up in the central part of the state has an experience. Or somebody that grew up in the Western part of the state has an experience. So everyone has an experience. Mm -hmm. And that must be honored. That must be valued. And when we're dealing with race, yes, we have to deal with the tough stuff of 
of white privilege. Mm. You know, we have to deal with that and what that looks like, you mm. know, um, and how, how not you, but how in the wider picture uh, uh, individuals have benefited. Mm. Yeah. And maybe may, may not know that they've been, you know, so, so, so we, so there has to always be this willingness to step beyond self. Right. And, and be willing to, um, do the hard and messy work that, um, sometimes we all as church people, mm-hmm. we say we want to do, but when we really get in it, it's like, no, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that part where staying at the table, that's the tough part where, where it gets difficult. And, um, but we're, we're called to do it. And again, I think when we start talking about um, issues like that, it's, it's where it's good to elevate the perspective and, and not receive this as accusatory fingers pointing toward, you know, because like, you know, yeah, it's completely valid that, you know, plenty of, of white people have grown up dirt poor, grew up having nothing, having, um, you know, crappy parents or, or whatever else had to work for everything that they've got, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I could see where they would, you know, react very strongly to the idea of just the language of privilege. Um, but talking about white privilege does not take away, it's not pointing accusatorily toward uh, a finger toward their experience and saying, you know, well, you had it easy. Um, it's, it's saying that you were able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do these things because maybe you had some advantages that have been given to people with, with white skin throughout, you know, centuries that people with black skin had never been offered, you know, mm-hmm. like simple access to education or access to loans or access to land and um, things that people of color, African-Americans were centuries behind the ball in getting because of, of slavery and the, the long fight that they had to uh, endure for their rights um, that those of us with, with white skin, our ancestors simply didn't have to endure. Right, right. And it, th- that's where the, that's where what you're describing that is the broader understanding. That is the, you know, when I mean, it, it becomes very stingy mm-hmm. um, when we start talking about um, white privilege. It becomes very stingy, mm-hmm. you know, because immediately, like you described, um, you know, people begin to uh, measure white privilege through their lenses, like we all do. Sure. And they begin to take it personally. When really the the whole the language of that is not necessarily personal, it is how uh, 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 how society and culture has given preferential treatment. Yeah, yeah. To those uh, uh, of Eurocentric descent, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and in in every structure and in every institution, every way. And so that's what that's what that means. But like you said, we have to elevate the perspective mm-hmm. and continuously draw people out of this sense of I'm, a t- I'm clamping at you. Right. When I'm not clamping at you. I'm clamping at the 
wider things that have made you and I believe mm-hmm. that we can't be this, that the racism is in the middle that's making us go like this. Right. That we, we can't really be together. Are, that we're really trying to come together, you know, because you're not going to stop being white. Okay. And I'm not going to stop being black, you know. Right. All right. And that ain't even the broader thing, but how can we be seen as critiquing and, 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 and looking at how our systems and institutions can better function to serve us all? Right, right. And not looking at it um, with these blinders that these other realities does not exist or that was then, this is now, and I yeah. can't make up for, you know, we get into all of these sympathetic things you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't, and for me, I'm not looking at you to make up for, make up for anything. I'm just simply acknowledging the narrative that it still is, mm. you know, um, and we can point to not just, not just 10 years ago, we can point to things of this year of, mm-hmm. of right now that are happening that feeds those, those larger narratives um, that makes us believe that we are both our enemies, but when we really are all children of God, because in the book of Genesis, right there in chapter one, it describes for us mm-hmm. who God is, mm-hmm. how God sees us in, we call the imago dei, in the image yeah. of God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us are in the, are made in the likeness and the image of God. And God sees us as good. Mm. Who changed that? Nobody, brother. Nobody, right? But we started to change it with our own ideas of what we want to define as who's good and who's bad. You're right. It did not start that way. You're right. And and when Christ came and comes to restore this world as God intends for it to be, then it is incumbent upon us to work for that life as God intends for it to be, which is one of systems of equity, you know, where um, one, one, whether it's race or gender or, you know, whatever else is not held higher or better or, or more privileged than another, but simply to even use the word equal, I think lessens it, you know, when it says God creates humans, you know, God's response is different than every single other day. Every single other day, God said, you know, he made the oceans and it was good. And he made the animals and that was good. And he, but he made humans and it was very good. That's I mean, we're not talking about just us, you know, all coming to a place of, of shared e- equality. We're calling for us to all come to a place of shared abundance, man, like that's abundance of God's favor and God's love that God has been desiring to bestow upon humanity since our very beginning. Um, and that's, that's kingdom work is, is restoring us all, all people to, to that reality that God desires in our very goodness. Right. Right. All right. Well, let me ask this. Um, it is tempting and not altogether without merit to look at these issues um, as problems that our communities um, have an equal burden to address. Um, but the truth is, you know, my church has never gotten a hate letter, never has. 
there's never been graffiti sprayed on the back of a church in Wilmington because they sought to include more white people in the congregation, but it's happened to a church that sought to include more black people. Uh, the sad truth is, although many white Christians want sincerely to combat uh, racism and inequality and demonstrate proactive love to the black community, uh, we, uh, white Christians, do not share the history of being victims of hate across centuries. We simply don't. So considering that, considering that there's a painful past baked into the black Christian experience that uh, we have been blessed, even privileged, not to endure, what is helpful to receive from your white church allies? Um, I think, you know, wonderful question, loaded question, but I think what is, you know, really helpful is, like you said, listening and being, being open beyond all of the loud noises that really has nothing to do with the basic understanding of our humanity. Mm. Okay. Um, we all got the talking points. Yeah. We all hear the chatter, but if we really serious about really loving God and, and being Christians, then I think it takes a basic listening. You know, it takes, it takes, it takes risk to want to intentionally say, I want to build this relationship with this person. Or, I want to build this relationship with this congregation. But it, and there may be resistance in the beginning, but if it's a consistent, truthful intentionality of wanting to grow in one's perspective, after a while, there will be a coming together. Mm. And it takes listening. You know, it, it, it takes listening. Yeah. I don't know how I'm, you know, I ain't a profound guy, but <laughs> it, it just takes, it takes willingness. You know, it's, it's a simple thing of if a person has an advantage in a space that they know I can't, I, I don't. And it takes that person when they hear the things mm -hmm. that they feel within themselves is questionable, is not right. Then it takes them in that space to begin to raise their voices. Mm. Yeah. And to then begin to ask themselves, do I want to continue to silently participate or am I going to risk being possibly not invited to stand for what I in for what I internally believe? Yeah. About this. Yeah. I have been in spaces with many white pastors talking about this very same thing. And a lot of them admit that it's fear. Mm. You know, you're in congregations where, you know, you got, you know, one guy talked about his livelihood mm. yeah. to address, you know, the real serious, you know, begin to deal with these racial issues and begin to deal with in the, in the, in any inequities and all these other kind of things that, you know, um, in the black pulpit we deal with. Yeah. And a lot of it is, and I wouldn't say it's fear. A lot of it is just, you know, I want to, but I got a family to feed. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? So 
so so it's really and I always say, well, you don't have to be that bold, but what you can begin to do is drop little nuggets around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the spaces and places, even with your own family, say, well, I have a difference of opinion about that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's 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 not it's not always on the big stage that you have to try to make the difference in people. Yeah. It's in the spaces and places when the lights are out in the intimate conversations that people, you know, you know, you have, you know, where you go, you know, that, that you, that, that one can begin to assert them, not assert, begin to raise up their true feelings about things. Yeah. You know, man, we started this conversation um, with a lot of focus on the idea of authenticity, you know, in, in the regard to you, being in a place where you could be authentic as a pastor. I think that's what you're talking about now is, and, and authenticity is, um, it's a joy. It's a joy to be your authentic self, but it's also a challenge to be mm-hmm. your authentic self. And what you're talking mm-hmm. about right now is especially is the challenge part of that, because we all know that feeling, whether it's on this topic or plenty of others where something comes up that is against what you authentically know to be true and what the Holy Spirit of God says inside of you is right and deserves a rebuttal or deserves simply an injection of truth, you know, deserves uh, the introduction of an alternate perspective. Doesn't have to be rude or ugly or anything like that. And, and what you're talking about is speaking up when something violates what you authentically know to be true. And we authentically know to be true that God created every one of us in his image, that God said after our creation that we are not only good, but very good, red, yellow, black, and white. And therefore, we must speak up. You know, when when something violates that. And the other thing that I love about what you're saying is that it doesn't assume that any of us has to solve the issues or the problems ourselves. All it is doing is asking us to be good stewards of the opportunities that we have, you know. So if you have an opportunity to create a friendship that doesn't look like any of of your other friendships, be a good steward of that and do it. You know, if you have uh, the opportunity to make spaces and places in your life more equitable, do that, you know, and if we, it sounds cheesy and cliche and trite, and I know that, but if we all did that, if every person who says they love Jesus did that, just sought to make, their their life a little more reflective of the kingdom of god then it wouldn't take all that long right right all right dorian well uh before we before we go um there's a segment that i like to do sometimes on the naked preacher podcast called the skin invitation where uh i invite uh, uh the 
the preacher guests to answer sort of three rapid fire questions that invite them to be a little bit more vulnerable uh, and, and show a little more of their authentic selves. And since we've talked so much about authenticity uh, today, it seems only appropriate uh, to uh, invite you to participate in this segment. So I'm going to give you three rapid fire questions. Okay. You ready? Just, just answer, you know, uh, as, as authentically as you can. First, what's one mistake that you've made in ministry? Moving too fast. Moving too fast? What do you mean? Like, uh, meaning, like, you know, coming in, wanting to change. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. You know, that's a mistake I've made. Yeah. Congregations don't like that very much, do they? No. no. I've typically heard that it's that first year, your job is just to learn and watch and, uh, and, um, just not mess anything up. Let them love right. you for, let the honeymoon happen. Right. 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 Right uh good one good one all right second what's one of your fears in ministry hmm. i would have to say probably um wondering have i done what god wanted me to do hmm. yeah i can relate to that man it's always you know at the end of the day we're working we're working as humans doing this thing right yeah we're giving yeah. our, our best interpretation and working with the Holy Spirit, but, you know, we can't fight that we're flesh at the end of the day. Right. Uh, all right. Last one. What's one thing that you completely rock in ministry? Um, I, w- I would say that, you know, I think I do a pretty good job of uh, preaching. I was hoping you'd say that because that's what that's what my answer was going to be for you. I would say preaching. Yeah. yeah, I try to be, you know, as best of a preacher as I can be. Yeah, well, I think you knock it out of the park, my friend, that among among many other things. So, well, I thank you very much for, for being with us today. And uh, and yeah, my, my best to the family, to the kids. We'll have to get together again sometime here as the weather gets a little gets a little warmer. Get outside, do some do some playing, do some grilling, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, we look forward to it, man. It'll be awesome. All right, buddy. Tell everybody, hey, Forrest. I surely will, man. All right, man. Bye. Bye. All right, there you go. A great conversation with a good friend, Dorian Daniels, who, again, is the pastor at St. Andrew's AME Zion Church here in Wilmington. You can check them out online or on Facebook. Uh, You can also check out our church's Facebook page, Winter Park Baptist Church, and scroll through the videos, and you'll be able to see some uh, times over the last couple of years where Dory and I have gotten together and um, partnered on a few things. It's always a good time getting together with him. So I hope the conversation that he and I had today was as helpful for you as I know it was for me. And as for today, I think that will just about do it. So until next time, preachers, be real. (music) 